We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. An epic MAGA showdown in New Hampshire. Will anyone win? I'm Matt Robeson. This is the Balance of Power Roundtable, part of the Beyond Politics podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube, which I hope you've subscribed to. This is an edition of the show that is just me and conservative consultant, analyst, and commentator, Alicia Preston. We don't have former Congressman Paul Hodes with us today. Whenever we do an edition like this, I like to say that the title should be, We're Imbalanced. Alicia, you you are not imbalanced as an individual, but you do look sick. Yeah, I've got the Canada flu. Every time we go to Canada, we come home and we get sick. I don't know why. Canada makes us sick and we love it there. So whatever. Blessings on our Northern brethren, but <laughs> they've got something brewing up there. Speaking of something brewing, we've got an epic, as we record this, we've got an epic showdown happening right now between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. They're both descending like locusts on the state of New Hampshire. Literally right now, it's Tuesday, the 27th. They're both showing up. There was a little kerfuffle about this, and you were quoted in the press about this. Can you just tell everyone in our national audience what happened, what this whole like thing was about, and why it's a race to the bottom? It's so silly. So the Federation of Republican Women holds an annual event called the Lilac Luncheon, which is a lovely event they hold every year. Lilac is our state flower. And it's to raise money to continue to educate, inform, and promote Republican women in politics in an elected office. And before I say what I'm going to say, I know several of the women involved in this organization, and they are lovely. The woman you, who now You has, are, so we're clear, a Republican woman in politics in New Hampshire, right? I am, These are your I people. Am. These are my people. I am not a member of the organization because I'm just not a joiner. And I get to be free to do what I want if I'm not a joiner. Like crap on what happened here. The poor woman who I'm not going to say her name. She's now in national headlines and she's just so lovely. And she is not someone who wants to make national news, I assure you. And so what happened was they're hosting Trump for their annual event. Simultaneously, Ron DeSantis is coming to New Hampshire and holding his own event. For reasons I don't understand, this upset the Republican Federation of Women. And they sent out a very critical statement on Ron DeSantis, which they shouldn't do. And several members have stepped down from the organization because it goes against their bylaws of being neutral, telling him he needs to change their event because they've got their event and DeSantis can't hold on when they do. Now, look, a couple things. Number one, I don't think Republican Federation of Women should be inviting someone who has been adjudicated as a sexual assaulter when it comes to an event that empowers women. I, I And I have stated it to them. I called them and I said, I just want to let you know I'm going to go out there and talk because this is how I feel, whether you like them or not. This is an organization for women. This is a man who talks about grabbing them by their genitalia. This is a man who has cheated on all his wives. He is a known philanderer. And when it comes to women, not someone that we should be standing up and promoting. That's number one. Number two, it is literally absurd to presume another presidential candidate can't campaign because one presidential candidate is at an event. This is New Hampshire. We're first in the nation. We've got 13 people in the mix or something. Of course, you don't have to check with another campaign to be like, can I have mine? 
a different time than yours? Let's make sure. The only reason you take that into consideration is if you don't think you can get people because there are competing events. Other than that, this is an unforced era. It's made national news. It's silly. It's ridiculous. And everyone comes out looking petty, in my opinion. Yes, everyone truly does look stupid in this. And I see their point that it's a little bit of a party foul to schedule on top of, hey, here's a big event that's going to draw a lot of the key demographic that you're trying to appeal to. And so if you're the DeSantis campaign, it's eh, maybe you want to steer clear of that. On the other hand, maybe it's a feature, not a bug, because their whole thing is we want to be the alternative to Donald Trump. And more on that in just a second with moron being the operative part of that sentence. More on that in just a second, but you want to be the alternative to Donald Trump. So why the hell wouldn't you schedule an event at the same time? All the Trump people are going to this one. So if you are a Republican who's in the market for someone and it ain't Trump, that's a great time. Be the counter-programming. I don't have any freaking problem with this, but it's your point, I think, is the salient one. And I wish... What the hell is this group doing inviting Donald Trump in the first place? And it just goes to, it's the core conundrum that we've brought up. It is the it is the cognitive dissonance at the core of the Republican Party. I feel like the member of the Imperial military in Star Wars talking to you. And you are Darth Vader, Alicia. You are. Mm. And I'm telling you, Uh, Oh, you know what? I'm Grand Moff Tarkin. That's who says this. (laughs) It's like, you are the last of a dying breed. You, you, the, the flame of the reasonable Republican has gone out of the galaxy. You are all that's left of their religion. You are, because everyone else is like, yeah, I guess we're gonna do this Trump thing again. And Republicans seem okay with this, even though there are a few of you still screaming from the rooftops. Are you guys all insane? What's wrong with you? I don't get it. And, but here's the thing. More than half of the Republicans don't understand this, to be honest, in New Hampshire. And let's not forget when it comes to this event and the competing event, it's a sold out event. So it took nothing away from this organization, nothing away from this organization for Ron DeSantis to be here. And to your point, it's smart strategy. All right. If you love Donald Trump, you're at this event by the Republican Federation of Women. If you are a Republican who likes politics, hey, I'm over here seeing who shows up to that is a very smart strategy. Grow your list, grow your people, get supporters. I have no problem with competing events. I've ran presidential campaigns in the state and on a national level, and I have never once asked another campaign or organizer if they minded if I held an event, again, unless I thought I can't get people because that's too big of an event. That's the only time you take into consideration. I have sometimes as a campaign manager actually reached out to Republican opponents and done a little coordinating. Look, there's the dance about you know, how many debates you're going to have that. I'm not talking we about all do that. Yeah. But like, sometimes there's just some reasonable, hey, like th- we've been asked for dueling media appearances. When are you going? We're going to go now. It's just sometimes working out logistics just makes sense. But no, sometimes is- the media logistics, particularly in small markets in like Iowa, for instance, and South Carolina, as a matter of fact, New Hampshire's got one market and enough reporters to cover multiple events. But there are media markets in Iowa, South Carolina, even Florida and Michigan, where the market is. And so so you are going to take that in consideration if you want media coverage. Right. So there are things, but you don't take into consideration am I being nice to my opponent? That's not the consideration right. you take into It's super in, into important account. in New Hampshire because you do have very limited media outlets. And if you're going to do something in Nashua, here's a city that non-New Hampshire people might have heard of, and you want to get covered in the Nashua Telegraph, 
uh, since time immemorial, that was you're calling up Kevin Landrigan, who is now with the anyway, he's union a leader, cast. different paper, but yeah, different. He's not he's moved. But for a long time, for many years, <clears throat> there's one guy who you want if you're going to get covered in the newspaper for that city. And so if he's going to a different event, that's kind of a problem anyway. But here's the other piece of strategy, right? So there used to be a reporter named John So who has since passed, one of the greatest political reporters in the Truly modern one, and, New Hampshire. And honestly, someone I, even when he was giving me a rough time in coverage, I, I ended up really, after I got into a fight with him in like literally my first day on the job as Paul Hode's chief of staff, I literally, the very first thing I did was I picked a fight with John Mustazzo. Not my smartest move ever. Not after the that, smartest move. We developed a great relationship based on respect and rest in peace. He's He was a terrific reporter. Go on. Yeah, sorry. Absolutely. Go on. He was. And so what you would do, like if the John DeStazo of today, he's going to cover Trump because Trump's the biggest news, right? So what you do is you say, John, let me get you on the phone with DeSantis when you're done the Trump event to comment on it. Yeah. And that's just a strategy. Then you're in the Trump article. Like there's all these things that come into play. Don't be mean to Donald Trump and you're not allowed a competing event. That's just not it. One more point on this, and then we can move on and talk about what- And I this is national news. What are we doing, guys? Why is yeah, this Yeah, why, why is this? I, the only other thing, because the reason I'm belaboring this topic a little bit is just that for our listeners and our viewers, we're going to see so much of this. And I do think that some of the mechanics behind the scenes, so much goes into- putting together these little micro events, like there's armies of staffers. You have directed operations like the So Have I that go into all the thought, all the planning of we want to have this event because this is it. This is what the campaign is made up of, at least on the non like earned media side, or this is the earned media side, but like the non-paid media side. And, it, you know, what you have to understand about groups like the Republican Federation of Women or whatever is they have a symbiotic or maybe parasitic relationship with campaigns. They are fundraising organizations. They exist to raise money for themselves to keep going as an organization. And one thing that reason, if you are Asa Hutchinson, then you are at the mercy of a group like this because you desperately want to be featured by them. You just want an opportunity to get in front of a concentration of voters. It's really hard to find concentrations of likely voters who might be open to your message for some retail politics. That's not an easy thing to do. So if you have an existing group and an existing forum, that's valuable to you. But if you're one of the top tier in a presidential campaign, you do not need to bow down to them because they also need you. They need headliners. They need to show their membership that they have the juice to get big names in so that it's worth ponying up to be a member of this group and so that you can fundraise from your members. And so does anyway, DeSantis doesn't need to bow, but the thing to watch out for is there are going to be like 5,000 more events like this in New right. Hampshire and Iowa. And that's the kind of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And this one just happened to make national news. But and not to belier the strategy on this, I was told that, look, DeSantis was invited to this event. All these candidates, everyone was invited to this event. And look, I've been in that situation before, not just on the presidential level, governor, or primaries or Senate, and there's a headliner and then you get invited to sit in the audience. I have never let a client of mine sit in the audience while his opponent gets the podium. The idea that is acceptable, it says to everyone there, I'm the small guy. 
And so strategically, of course, DeSantis, they're upset DeSantis wouldn't come. Of course he wouldn't come if Trump is headlining. It just strategically makes absolutely no sense to be like, I'm the little guy in the audience. They don't want me behind the podium. Of course not. Exactly. But it's anyway, like, I, I just, I think that we can, we will continue as the campaign goes forward to give a little bit, just a little bit of this behind the scenes flavor, because it does have most of the time, the appearance of the duck floating along, but under the water, just paddling like crazy. And like I said, there are armies of people who do nothing all day, but sweat events like this. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Speaking of this giant epic MAGA showdown in New Hampshire, we do have some breaking polling data, including I want to preview for folks that I'm going to be having Neil Levesque, the executive director of the St. Anselm's Institute of Politics, on the show. We'll put that out tomorrow because there's a new poll from St. A's. It's a very high quality poll in New Hampshire, and it has a lot of interesting stuff to say that we're going to get into. It's just embargoed today until six o'clock. Can't release it. So we'll release that first thing tomorrow morning. In the meantime, we do have polling from NBC News that shed some national light on the state of the race. Alicia, what stood out to you? Because something majorly stood out to me in this poll. There were a few parts to this poll. There was a Kamala Harris approval rating. There was a Republican matchup. And I have to be honest, I give very little credence to national polls because they're absolutely irrelevant. They're just irrelevant. Every state votes individually. It's the electors that matter. It's the primary voters that matter first. But national polls mean very little. But what it says is DeSantis is falling behind Trump. I don't know. I don't know who's being polled. The other reality is in these polls, I have yet to see where a significant amount of independents or undeclared voters, people who aren't member of either party, are being asked. And in the states that are going to make these decisions, including New Hampshire, there is 40 plus percent of people who will be voting in the primary that are not declared as Republican. So they don't mean a lot. I, I think what stood out to me, just to give the top line here on the Republican side, which I think is the juiciest part of this, it's that Trump is sitting at 51% support from Republican primary voters, and he is lapping Ron DeSantis, who's only at 22%, Pence at seven, Chris Christie at five, Nikki Haley at four. But the key is the movement since the last NBC poll. It's frequently useful to take an approach to polling. There's one or of two approaches you can take. One is to aggregate polls and look at polling averages. And obviously, 538 does a very good job of this. Don't use trends, Real Clear Politics. Right. Real Clear Politics was actually bought by a right-wing media group a few years ago, and they tend to skew. I don't trust their polling averages anymore. But 538, despite letting go of Nate Silver, remains a pretty good source if you're into polling averages. And that's looking across multiple polls, lots of people, lots of different methods, lots of different samples. And the idea being that your average tells you something more accurate than an individual poll. The other thing you can do is look at a single poll, but look at change within the same poll conducted in the same way over time. 
that can frequently be instructive. And it's a good relative measure of what's happening. And the last NBC poll back in April had Trump at 46, so he's gone up five points, and DeSantis at 31, so he's gone down nine points, and then the rest of the field was spread. My thesis about this is that what has basically happened is that DeSantis, this is a case of familiarity breeds contempt. DeSantis, up until his big rollout this spring, was an unknown quantity. Most Republican primary voters had heard very little about him. What they had heard was probably glowingly positive because it was probably mostly on Fox News or was just a general proposition. There was excitement. He was getting headlines. They didn't know much about him. And that's what got him to 31%. Once people actually got to learn something about Ron DeSantis and he started receiving more national non-right-wing media coverage, the shine came off. And so what is this decline of 10 percentage points? And my guess is that about half, I haven't seen cross tabs in the poll. My guess is that about half of that went to Trump. These are people who are MAGA people. They're not against Trump. They don't have a particular problem with Trump. They were just shopping. They were DeSantis curious. And when they decided that they were less enamored of DeSantis, they reverted back to Trump. The other half of that kind of is looking for a Trump alternative and they ended up going somewhere else in the field. That's my interpretation. That's why you see a Trump bump of five points here. What do you make of that? I think that very much could be in part true. There are those that also with Trump's indictments, backlash, they think the DOJ has been weaponized. And so they went back to Trump. There, there was a group of voters who said, I love Donald Trump, but maybe it's time to move on. Maybe he can't beat Joe Biden. And then they swung back. Look, the reality is, the MAGA voter considers themselves conservative. Now, I can argue all day long that I don't think Donald Trump was a conservative president at all. I think he increased the national debt and did several things that go against conservatism, but they consider themselves conservatives. Ron DeSantis is clearly a far, not far right, but very right conservative Republican. So it makes you go, if I've already got that in Trump, which again, I don't think you do, but if you feel you do, why am I going somewhere else? Why do I need to go to DeSantis? And then you split it up with DeSantis has done some pretty, I'm going to call them conservative things. He just signed a six-week abortion ban in Florida. There are a lot of Republicans who think that's just too soon. They can, New Hampshire's got 24 weeks. They like that. Some will stomach 15 weeks. But that's a very conservative stance to take on abortion when abortion is currently part of the conversation. We just had the one-year anniversary of the Dobbs decision. So I think some of the DeSantis people went, ah, maybe he's a little too right for me. I'm going to look at someone else. And there are other people in the field. We're not talking a 20-point swing here. We're talking a few numbers. And so you, mm. Pence peels them off. Christie's out there beating the crap out of Trump, which is great. And I think there are some Republicans that are like, I'm going to go after the guy that takes Trump on head on. Now, that may only be a few points, but that peels away from DeSantis. No, it's true. I agree that all of those are likely factors. It is interesting. It's instructive that we don't have a direct apples to apples comparison of the obviously of the Trump indictments, but we do have, especially in this time frame, but we do have some reasonable points of comparison in previous Trump impeachments and in the Mar-a-Lago FBI document recovery effort. I'm not going to call it a raid. And in all of those instances, 
what I you think it was saw. a raid, and I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't know why we're running away from the word raid. It absolutely was a raid. It should have been a raid, and let's call it what well, it is. I don't have a problem with it. That's true. If Elliot Ness were doing it, we'd call it a raid. Yeah. But what did Sean Connery say in The Untouchables? This is a raid. So yeah, okay, fine. It was a raid. You but did not that, do Sean Connery justice just there. I want to let you know. I'm super Scottish. I'm one of the lost tribe of Scottish Sexiest Jews. Sexiest man in modern history, including his voice. You just completely bastardized it. I do. I have to say, though, that he had some very unfortunate quotes to Barbara Walters. He once, on camera, like in all seriousness, said about his relationships with women, including his wife, sometimes you have to give them a good slap. Like, that's not okay. No, but you know what? Here's a man that I was like 22 when he was like 60. And even I was like, that's the hottest man on the planet. I'm just going to give him that. That's fair. Did Daniel Craig not do it for you? No. No, No, didn't surprise. No. Would no. you have gone with Henry Cavill? Because apparently he, the news this week was Cavill knocked it out of the park in his screen test. It was just beaten out by a hair by Daniel Craig. No, Henry Cavill? No. That. Yeah. Didn't know All that. right. I like Daniel Craig as 07. I just, he's not Sean Connery. Do you Who know is back? your number one pick? Who's your number one pick for the next 07? Bradley Cooper. American. You want to go give American? Him an accent. No, I want him to have an accent. Oh, which mean, he can. He's he done before. do James Bond as Rocket Raccoon. I love it. Yeah. That's a great yeah. idea. The point being that in these past instances. Basically yeah, because he's hot. You see how I watch my low seven yeah, choices. Also, you're into raccoons, so that's fine. Um, whatever floats your boat. It's because you've got Canadian flu. Clearly. <laughs> With the previous instances where we've seen Donald Trump get in big legal trouble, he's gotten about a five-point bump among Republican voters temporarily. And I think that's quite possibly in the mix here, that he might be among certain Republican primary voters be getting a little bit of a bump, but I wonder how long lasting it will be. The other interesting thing in the poll that jumped out to me is that when NBC basically got rid of the rest of the field and just left it at Trump versus DeSantis, Trump gains nine additional points. He goes up to 60% support. DeSantis only gains five points. He only goes up to 36. So here's the other thing. Number one, again, that's a national poll, but I have a lot of friends on both sides of the aisle. And let me tell you, there are a lot of we Republicans who, if the primary were today, I could not tell you who I would vote for. And there's a lot of us out here. Mm. And I'm not sure that's completely being accounted for. I know who I'm not going to vote for. I'm not voting for Donald Trump. I'm not a huge DeSantis fan, but if I think he could beat Donald Trump strategically, I may cast my vote to him. I love Mike Pence, but I don't want to throw away my vote. There's a lot of people like me out here who are watching and going, mm. where am I going to cast a vote and what metrics am I going to use before I do? I just think that latter test is interesting, that 60 to 36 margin. Because first of all, it shows that Trump's lead over DeSantis is pretty robust, right? And the other thing is that we've been talking on this show and in media circles, there, there's been a lot of chatter about maybe the Republicans just have a collective action problem like they had back in 2016, where the field was just too diffuse, too large. Will Hurd got in this week. So we have more and more candidates. They're spreading out the anti-Trump vote, and that is advantage Trump. What that 100%. particular question tends to show is maybe the whole idea, like if DeSantis's whole strategy here is I just need to get down to a one-on-one with Trump and I can beat him. This poll suggests that's not really true. And that's, look, 60% in a primary, that is a pretty strong number when you are such a known quantity. I would be, if I were sitting inside the DeSantis campaign right now, first of all, I would be handing out spoons so that he would start to eat pudding like a human being. And second of all, I would be sweating that number. 
I think DeSantis has to pick his lane and that's part of his problem. You've done this, Matt. I've done this strategically. You look at a field and you go, okay, who am I in the field? Where am I getting my numbers? What voter am I going for? And the problem with DeSantis right now is he's going for the same pool of voters that Trump is going for. He's just going for the ones that aren't Trump supporters. And I don't think there's enough of them. He's got to broaden himself a little bit. And he's got to be willing to take on Trump, not like Chris Christie, because he'll lose to many people. But look, at least Chris Christie picked a lane. Like you've got to come up with your lane and stick with it. And I don't know if it's going to be what Chris Christie's doing is going to be effective, but at least he chose a path and a strategy. That's what DeSantis has got to do. And he's balancing between I'm going for the MAGA supporters who maybe are fatigued by Trump. That's not enough. You got to broaden yourself. Yeah, I think that's what this poll shows is it's not enough to just be Trump light. It's not enough to be like, oh, he's that he's like Trump, but he smiles more and he's a little less incoherent. He's a nice robot. I think I could get used to him. That's what this poll shows. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I do think there's one other thing that comes out of this and it bridges to one more topic that I want to hit today, which is I think that Republicans have a Friday the 13th problem. They're under the illusion that they've killed Jason. And it's never true. It's never true. It seems like this time, oh wait, we could do Nightmare on Elm Street if you prefer. Which one do you prefer? I prefer Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, okay, let's do Freddy Krueger. Okay. Not a fan yeah. of Freddy Krueger as like a pedophile. No, Robert England. Uh, Robert just, England. Yeah, Robert England's awesome. Yeah. He killed it. He was, he was awesome. And I loved him in V. Yes. Okay. What we learned in those documentaries, the, the Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street, Street documentaries, yeah. is that there are multiple ways that you can convince yourself that you've killed Freddy Krueger. None of them are true. And the fallacy that Republicans keep laboring under is this time. By the way, Democrats too. It's now he's been indicted for fraud in New York. He's done. Not so much. Now he's been indicted by a federal prosecutor for stealing classified documents. And by the way, hot off the presses, they have him on tape and CN played the tape. And he's admitting like, he's actually saying what we could never show in the first impeachment, which was him saying to Zelensky, will you crime with me? I want to do a quid pro quo. Please, Tavares. Will you crime with me? Please, yes, do please, you do crime with me. He's actually saying that. He's saying it on tape. Nope, I have a prediction for you. That is not the kill shot. Freddy Krueger is coming back. He is sharpening his finger knives. I think that's part of what this poll is saying. I don't think that currently under this poll, there is a kill shot that has either happened in the past. I shouldn't say that in regards to a president. Secret Service, please do not come after me. There is not something that is politically vanquishing Donald Trump in the past, and I don't think that there's going to be something in the future. We see 61% of Republican voters saying that the federal indictment does not matter to them. It's the same proportion that said in a 2017 poll that they couldn't think of anything, literally anything that Donald Trump would do that would shake their support for him. I think that is what we are getting confirmed for us. And that was all a long segue to just one more topic which is- Well, can I just comment real quick on that? Go, go, please, go. Part of the problem with this is a massive misinformation campaign. And I'm not talking about random dude on Twitter who's got 35 followers. I'm talking people who have millions of followers who are diehard Trump supporters, Mark Levin and people like that who are whack jobs and cultists. Those guys are cultists. All my MAGA friends are not cultists. The Mark Levins of the world, they're absolutely part of a cult. And 
so you got people with millions of followers who believe what they say and they're sharing misinformation. They're sharing misinformation about the latest one is Trump is allowed as of noon on January 20th, 2021, unfettered access to all presidential documents. It's completely factually untrue. But there's yes, even says on tape that's not true. Even he says, says on it. tape that's not true. And yet millions of people are liking these posts by millions of people who they in the past have thought were authorities on something. Yeah. And so it is this massive misinformation campaign. And the reality is there are a lot of people who say today I'm voting for Trump who are looking for an exit ramp, but they can't find one because every time something happens, like an indictment or like this audio tape, someone says, no, that's okay. Stay with us. He didn't actually do anything wrong. And they're believing it because they feel they have to. It is very culty. I don't want to step on the recording that I'm going to do with Neil Levesque, which I hope people will check that out when it posts tomorrow. But I think you're hitting on a really important point. And I I'm just going to give a little tease. I think in what I've seen of the St. Anselm's polling number, I can firmly predict that 2024 is going to be the most negative, hateful campaign in political history. I think I can confidently predict that based on the numbers I'm seeing here. And I will explain why in that show, which people should check out tomorrow. Let's just hit one more point here, which is, I think as part of the Freddy Krueger theme, we saw, what's her name? Della Luna, nut, nut job, Della, Diego Luna from Florida, the Republican Congresswoman who last week plowed ahead with a privileged resolution in the House to censure Congressman oh, yeah. Adam Schiff yeah. based on vapor, based on nothing. And because it's a privileged re resolution, this is down in the weeds, but this is just like congressional procedure. Kevin McCarthy couldn't stop it. And he tried. He tried. And the first time she brought it to the floor, it actually failed. Even Republicans thought, this is freaking hogwash. I cannot do this. And by the way, you're helping shift politically because he's fundraising. It's just every time they say this out loud, cha-ching, right? Because he's he gets to say, I'm the number one target of Republicans, and he's not wrong. And so that escaped lab containment. And then Lauren Boebert, God. quite possibly the least intelligent member of Congress, and that is a that is a contested yeah, it's prize. It's a tough tie with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates. I don't know. It's a trio. She plows ahead with an impeachment for Joe Biden. And it had nothing. It had literally nothing behind it. And Kevin McCarthy, I can just picture him. There's some reporting on this, but I can just picture he pulls her into his office and he pinches the bridge of his nose. And he says, Lauren, you freaking moron. You're giving the game away. The way this works is we have to go through a kabuki theater process of having hearings and witnesses and something. Otherwise, the credulous media stenographers won't report what we're saying. They will treat it like a joke. And that's what they're going to do to you. And you're going to give away our whole scam that we're running. And so he managed to shunt it over to committee. But again, the, to me, this goes back to the Freddy Krueger theme. Every time Republicans think maybe we have lanced the boil of MAGAism in our party. It comes rearing back. And I think last week is a perfect example. I am concerned with the weaponization of government. Let me back up. From a Republican standpoint, I do think the DOJ dragged their feet on the Hunter Biden investigation. I have no problem with the outcome. I don't think the guy needs to go to prison for life, which some right-wing wackos are saying in Congress. 
But I do think they waited too long to do that investigation. I think politics came into play. I think we know from the FBI report or the report on the FBI a few weeks ago, there was some politics in the play. I do think there has been some political involvement in parts of our government that should stay political, but not to the extent that the Lauren Boeberts of the world are saying. And I get very concerned. I don't like Joe Biden. Never voted for Joe Biden. Never going to vote for Joe Biden. I don't think he's a strong president. I don't think he should run again because I think he's too damn old, but he hasn't done, he hasn't committed a crime. I think it was Marjorie Taylor Greene who said, we're going to impeach him over his border policy. You don't impeach a president because you don't like his policy. You vote him out of office as an electorate the next time around. And I think Republicans right now are clamoring about the weaponization of the DOJ when it comes to Donald Trump, which that should not happen, but simultaneously fighting back by weaponizing the federal government against their political rival. And I think it is a dangerous, dangerous slope to walk down. Your point earlier, you think 2024 is going to be nasty. It already is. You look at what people are saying to each other, what they're calling each other. It boggles the mind that Americans feel this way about each other, not just because they've got an D next to their name and they differ, but because they disagree on who in the Republican Party they want to vote for or what they think should happen in the Democratic Party. We have got to come up with a leader that can put us back on track. And I'm not sure who that is, but uh, the, the uh, hate is pervasive and unnecessary and unhealthy. I agree with that. I just have to put in that I do not agree that there was political pressure brought to bear. That's not coming on the Hunter Biden investigation. That's not coming from me. That's coming from the prosecutor in charge who has said that on the record that he was never told anything about how to handle the investigation. He had total autonomy. And I think the Wall Street Journal did a review with legal and tax experts and prosecutors who go after gun crimes, and they agreed, yep, what happened here is totally reasonable. So I, I don't think that is a great example. I do agree with your point that when you start getting into this kind of totally hapless, stupid, just lobbying. Trump deserved to be impeached both times. And when you cheapen it with this kind of stunt, it's actually bad politics for Republicans, but it's also terrible for all of us as Americans. And the only way through it is we have to actually finally do away with Freddy Krueger. I, I guess shrug on our ability to do that. We just, we have to win. We have to defeat it. On that note, for Alicia, and maybe next time we'll have Paul Hose. I'm Matt Robeson. We will see you on the next Bounce of Power.